Alex Pope, you are the editor-in-chief at Canadian Geographic. First of all, I want to thank you so much for taking the time today to join me on the Fact Up podcast. Thanks for having me, Jim. You know, we've known each other for a good 10 years, and it's just like like that since the Weather Network. Um, one blink of an eye and, and a decade goes by. Um, personally, I always love to see the progression of colleagues uh, as they go on with their career and their lives. You're, you're, you know, you're a mom now. You're the editor, of, uh, you know, in chief of, of Canadian Geographic. But before we kind of get more into you, the job, the magazine, I want to kind of go back 15 years to the seven months you spent in Santo Domingo, Dominican Republic. Um, you know, you were covering uh, development and, and poverty issues back then. Uh, talk about what drove you there to begin with uh, to start your career and how that influenced your path since. Yeah, thanks. That's wow. What a great question to ask about. You know, right what? off the bang. Yeah, I had a hunch that you were going to ask me about that experience, so I'm I'm super glad you brought that up. Um, the story behind that actually goes back two years even earlier uh, to 2005 when I was doing my undergrad at the University of New Brunswick. I did my undergrad in a, it was a Bachelor of Philosophy in Interdisciplinary Leadership Studies. Okay. That's a mouthful. Program right. is called Renaissance College. You can look it up. And part of that program was to do an international internship. So some kind of human rights development focused experience in a country where English was not the first language. And I ended up doing an experience in the Dominican Republic through the YMCA with uh, five other girls from my program. We were all girls. And it was an incredible experience. And I really knew nothing about the Dominican Republic outside of their, you know, very um, public facing tourism packages and resorts and beautiful beaches but I really got to see a different side of the country go deeper into the culture and also learn about some of the difficult history that they have uh, with colonialism and their relations with their neighboring nation of Haiti so after my 10-week experience in 2005 I kept thinking about some of the things that I'd seen and learned and when I was doing my master's of journalism at Western in 2007 I learned about uh, a grant program for young reporters through the International Development Research Council of Canada, IDRC, and I decided to apply. Um, the girl who had done it the, the year before me had gone to Jordan and spoke very highly of the experiences she was able to have. And I thought, I really want to go back to the Dominican and actually report on some of the things that I saw and learned in 2005. So ended up being successful in my grant application, spent six months living in Santo Domingo and traveled to every part of the Dominican Republic, truly, and met incredible people, wrote stories for an English language website uh, that was really aimed at an expatriate audience of Canadians and Americans living in the Dominican, and just had an incredible time. Do you look back and, and, and be amazed at your level of courage to go outside of your comfort zone? Absolutely. I was, I was actually honestly reflecting on this today as I was driving to work about being 21 when I arrived in the Dominican Republic and fresh out of school with like maybe three journalistic clippings under my belt <laughs> and uh, away from my family and friends for the first time and just in a totally different environment than what I was used to, you know, in a, a dense urban center where nobody around me spoke English. And yeah, I don't know. I think it's just... I was scared. I'm not going to lie and say that I like went in with blind confidence. I was absolutely terrified, but I thought I have to do this because I know I'm going to be glad that I did. And I was. What's the biggest takeaway that you, you, you took from that experience? I think just the importance of putting yourself out there and taking opportunities as they come. 
Um, you know, in the end, that wasn't really uh, a career launching moment for me. It was an interesting experience, but it has very little bearing on where I've ended up in my career. But I think just putting myself out there and allowing myself that opportunity to grow as a reporter and as a person um, and really just, I guess, experience another culture in that way and like not through a lens as a as a white person but like truly trying to just listen and learn and observe and learn the language and you know get into the customs of the the actual area um it was really powerful as a as a personal experience no doubt and there's there's people who won't venture outside of their neighborhood much less uh, outside of their own comfort zone uh you know in a, in a place that doesn't speak their language uh they have to speak with their hands quite a bit and oftentimes you're communicating with hand gestures and even food <laughs> right um but it, it's an amazing thing and I, I i wanted to start the podcast out with that because it's it's a it's a very for me i feel it was a very pivotal moment for you even even today, you mentioned that you're you're thinking about it and reminiscing about it even today, you know, 15 years later. So obviously, it was a it was a big kind of uh, stretch of of importance for you in your life and your career. Uh, but talk about Canadian Geographic for those who aren't familiar with the publication. What makes it such a standout in the Canadian media landscape for both writers and readers? Well, I think one thing is the fact that we've just been around for a really long time. The magazine started publishing in 1930. So we're about, you know, seven years away from our 100th anniversary as a magazine, which is incredible in the Canadian publishing landscape. So we have that longevity factor. Um, we've had almost 100 years to develop a very recognizable brand. But I also think that the stories that we that we publish because we operate under a lens of geography, well, geography is everything. Geography can be anything. And so we're able to tell this really diverse range of stories and really delve into the diversity of Canada's landscapes, its wildlife, its people and cultures, and do some really unique storytelling approaches that you don't find in, in other magazines, truly. Like our, our cartography and our commitment to really stellar photography, I think, set us apart for readers and for writers as well. And anything, of course, some people confuse us with National Geographic, so sure, what is sure, that? <laughs> sure. Anything, anything planned for the 100th anniversary? Are you, are you planning that, uh, that big celebration starting now or is that more of a well you know let's not plan anything quite yet no we're we're starting those discussions we uh, have a strategic planning summit later this year to start talking about what are we going to do for the 100th because we went really big for our 90th in 2019 um, that was the anniversary of the RCGS, our publisher, the Royal Canadian Geographical Society right um, but the magazine also celebrated all year with you know in print and so now we've got to go even bigger, <laughs> figure out how we're going to do that. I'm not going to put you on the spot and talk about what you've got planned, although I'd love to to know and I'd love to be invited because I feel like that's going to be a massive party, <laughs> especially among uh, media people. But take us through the process um, of, of planning from your point of view, putting together a publication like Canadian Geographic. Take us behind the scenes. Take us into the boardroom. Um, you know, what do you have to think about? Who do you depend on? How do you balance budgets? Um, how do you put this giant puzzle together? Oof, wow, that's that's a big question. Take I mean, your time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, we publish six times a year. So that's actually not a lot of space to tell many stories. We can do four features per issue. And mm -hmm. so knowing that, knowing that we have six issues, 
with four features per issue really guides our planning process. And we start a year or more in advance. We have monthly pitch meetings as a team. It's just me and five other editors, by the way. I think sometimes people think that Cangeo, like Nat Geo, has a staff of hundreds of editors and copy editors and staff writers. There's six of us. <laughs> right. So, you know, I, I really have to give a shout out to my team because they they kill it every single issue and we're so busy all the time, but we bring the passion every single day. So we have these monthly pitch meetings. We consider external pitches. We also bring our own ideas to the table and say, I've been reading about this or thinking about this. And I really think that we should tell a story in this way. And, you know, we'll consider like, is this really a geographical story? Is this a Cangeo story? What's the right way to tell it? Is a feature necessarily the right approach? Or can we do this with a map? We have a department in every issue called On the Map, which is entirely driven by our cartographer. Also an unbelievable guy, Chris Brackley. He's Canada's map guy. <laughs> Everyone should know who Chris Brackley is. Mm -hmm. um, so we might look at an idea and say, I think Chris could really knock this out of the park if he can access some interesting data sets and create something really layered and a one-of-a-kind storytelling approach. Um, we might look at something and say, well, this is very specific to a single place. So maybe we're going to put it in the police department, also front of book about 600 words, mm -hmm. but those shorter pieces, I think sometimes they get kind of like a, a meh reaction from writers because it's like, oh, but I want to write the, the 4,000 word life-changing national magazine award-winning feature. But those front of book pieces are some of my favorite to read and edit because, you've got 600 words to tell a really concise, impactful story. And it's so much fun. So those are some of our favorites to, to edit and think about every single time. It's not a, it's not a job for the faint of heart. That is for sure. And uh, personally, every time I receive an email back from you, be it um, uh, a hello or just a, Hey, I got your email or even no, not this time around. It's okay. Because I, I appreciate the, I appreciate the callback. Um, and for those who who have an, an ounce of understanding what it takes to put together something like that, um, it, it it is truly a monumental task. So it's it's um, it's refreshing to know that there's only a handful of you doing such monumental work, and that I do you feel like if there was more, it'd be more problematic. I mean, I actually wish I had more staff, particularly okay. on the digital side, because in addition to the magazine, we do have a website that we update almost daily. I'm not going to promise that we do it daily, but certainly we're at the point of three, four stories a week of fresh content that you actually probably won't find in the magazine. So that's really exciting. Um, but I do wish that I had more staff on that side and on the, the digital development side, because again, with the amount of rich cartography and, and visual storytelling we're able to do, I think all the time of the opportunities that we could have on the website to make that content fully interactive and like really immerse people in the story. You know, putting together a 600 word article is no piece of cake for those uh, watching and listening. If you're trying to, if, if you are a, um, an analytical kind of thinker and writer like myself, <laughs> admittedly, uh, narrowing down to 600 words and being very tight, it's almost like packing. You want to pack your entire closet on this week long trip, but then you have to edit, really edit. <laughs> <laughs> what you take and what you put in, right? Yeah, um, that's bad. I just had to write 50 word descriptions of artifacts in our building 
and we have room for 50 words on the plaques in front of these artifacts. <laughs> and these are like historic artifacts that were used in groundbreaking expeditions. I'm like, how am I going to describe this in 50 words? It took me a day, Jim. It took me a day to write a hundred words. <laughs> I believe it. Listen, that's why I had such a hard time with Twitter. I can't do it. I can't do it in those characters. And you're talking about characters now. I can't, I can't have a calm account as a character. I yeah. hear you and I feel your pain. I do. Um, but what are your biggest challenges that you faced already as editor in chief? Uh, and what are some of the triumphs? Oh man, I think the biggest challenge has just been getting in my own head with imposter syndrome and feeling like I'm too young to be doing this. I'm too inexperienced. I haven't written a book. I've never won an NMA. You know, I, when I got this promotion, I was six months back to work from my maternity leave. It all happened so quickly and it all felt so serendipitous that it was a little bit scary. Um, so just kind of coming to terms with where I'm at in my career and thinking about how I got here and hence why I reflect on my journey while I'm driving through the snow in Ottawa. Um, <laughs> that's been a really, it's been a really interesting challenge mentally to put myself in this role and like be so public facing in many ways um, and just kind of dealing with my own insecurities around my journey so far and whether I deserve it enough or whether I've earned it, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I think this is a very common challenge for women, particularly in this field, just feeling like you could have put in 15 solid years of work in the background um, and showed up every single day and you still don't feel like you're good enough. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, um, I, I really admire the candidness. I, uh, I, I love the expression of, um, of self, um, but does it keep you up at night, this insecurity? Sometimes, sometimes yeah. I'll, I'll, you know, come home at the end of the day and sort of replay the day conversations that I had or an email exchange that felt like we were kind of, you know, moving at cross purposes as sometimes happens in an email. And I'll think, oh, like, I just wish that I had more wisdom, <laughs> hmm. but I know that that will come as I, you know, go through this journey in this role and get another couple of years of, of publication under my belt. Um, but yeah, this first year has been such a, a steep uphill climb in terms of just learning the ropes of the job, but also coming to terms with who I am as an editor, as a writer, as a manager, as a friend to many of the individuals in my team, because we are so tight knit. Um, it's, yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> Is time, will time be what you need to get over it? What would you need? to feel more, more secure, more, more. Um, yeah, man, I deserve this. I'm sitting in this chair and I'm going to decorate this office. A book deal. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I don't know. <laughs> no, I really think it is just time. I think, you know, I'm coming up on a year that I've been officially in the role. I was interim EIC for two months before uh, officially getting promoted into the role. So I think after that year, Mark, I'll be able to say, okay, this is really happening. It's time for me to actually put some pictures on my walls. Right, right. It's a lovely in. map. It's a lovely map. <laughs> yeah, you've got thank up. You. Right. <laughs> but talk about some of the triumphs. I mean, there's there's got to be plenty of triumphs as well. What are you proud of over the past oh. year as editor-in-chief? Every single issue that we put out feels like a triumph. The energy and excitement in the room when the new issue lands on our desks is palpable. 
we immediately, when people are in the office, I'm alone here today, Friday, um, but when people are in the office, we we gather with the magazines and we flip through them and we're like, oh, this worked out so well. Oh, it's so beautiful. Oh, I can't believe it's finally in print. Because <laughs> every issue feels a bit like raising a child in a very compressed right. time frame, obviously. Right. Um, <laughs> but we do we really put so much effort into it. And it can be quite stressful when you're up against deadlines and issues have to go to press and you're going back and forth on different details and there's differences of opinion sometimes. Right. And then it comes out and the good feelings are just so it's such a rush. It's a rush. Absolutely. You know, there's a lot of content out there, as you know, we've been around the game for for many, many years. That's all about, you know, clickbait uh, with a focus on celebrity, which I, personally I'm a little over. Um, I don't I don't care for it. I, I care more about the education insight. Um, may, blame it on age. I don't know. Right. Um, but, you know, from your point of view, is is there a shift happening? Um, is there a deeper desire among kind of the general public um, hungry to learn something? Not just to click on something, but when they click on something, it's 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 kind of um it it it, it enhances their lives in some way. Do you see a, a shift in kind of the culture of content? Yes and no. I mean, something that I think about a lot lately, especially since the Freedom Convoy sort of descended on my city this time last year, um, is just the problem of misinformation and the the growing distrust in our society of mainstream media sources and this desire to find out the truth um and sort of just the like the diffusion of the definition of truth that's something that troubles me a lot um as a publisher well not a publisher but an editor of a, a magazine that specializes in fact-based uh objective balanced journalism i worry that we're losing sight of what's really important and that we're losing sight of a consensus on what's real and what's right in society. And, and that worries me a lot, especially as we tackle challenging issues like biodiversity loss, climate change, um, inequality in society, um, reconciliation with indigenous peoples in Canada. These are big, big issues that need fact-based approaches. And I worry that even though we're doing the work and lots of other publications are doing the work, the public has been so misdirected by the availability of differing opinions and the presentation of, of opinion as fact. So it's complicated. What's the, what's the work that you mention for those who don't know and aren't familiar with Canadian geographic, what's the work that you're doing and putting in to um, make sure that um, everything's cool, man. <laughs> right? You can trust us. It's all good. What's that work involved? Well, it starts with the assignment. So when we get a pitch and someone says, I want to write about this facet of, um, let's say, climate change or uh, habitat that's threatened by development or simply by changes, um, you know, broad scale environmental changes, we have to be very careful as editors when we assign to capture the nuance that we want to see in the story. We have to go to the writer and say, we want you to speak to Indigenous peoples who have lived in these territories and on these lands and been stewards of these lands since time immemorial. That voice needs to be in there. We need you to respect the scientific consensus around climate change. You know, there's no room for doubt when you're dealing with some of the most pressing issues that humanity has ever faced. So it starts with that. Then when we get the draft, 
we as a team read through it and discuss a feature story and say, is it nuanced enough? Have they spoken to the right people? Have they reflected the right voices in the right way? Um, it's very complicated. And we have some really robust debates as a team, which is really wonderful to be a part of. It, it just feels very, um, yeah, I, I can't really explain it. It's a bit ineffable, but you know, when we really get down into the weeds of a feature story, that's where the magic happens. And that's where I think we have the opportunity to meaningfully move the needle on public opinion about some of these things. Um, and you do it by crafting a narrative that's also just packed full of facts and people who know because they've experienced and they've seen it. And it's about an ongoing conversation of uh, an exchange of thoughts and opinions that mold um responsible journalism exactly right well you mentioned people i mean it's not just about it's not just about travel it's not just about geography it's it's um it's the people behind the story why is putting a face on stories in canadian geographic so important well that's that's just how we are as humans we're a social animal we relate to one another face to face voice to voice and i think it's much easier to conceive of the urgency of a problem when you can see the people who are affected by it. And you can also see, you know, on the flip side of that, the people who are working really hard and are invested in creating positive change. That feels really good, I think, when you can connect with somebody on that level, even if it's through a magazine and you might never get to meet that person or experience their surrounds yourself. Which kind of loops back to your Dominican Republic experience where people uh, played a, a central role, I assume, as well, right? Absolutely. Right. Yeah. I'm going to put you on the spot a bit, okay? Uh, you've been at Canadian Geographic for a few years, editor-in-chief since early 2022. Um, what direction are you taking the publication, Alex? What types of stories are you most interested in going forward? I would definitely say, um, <laughs> it's funny, somebody, somebody said they were looking forward to the Pope regime when I took over. <laughs> and I was like, there's oh. only one Pope in this office. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the Pope regime has <laughs> really been to, I think, do more of these kind of human interest stories. I'm really excited about our publishing year coming up. We're working on our second issue of 2023 right now. And it really is getting into more of like less pure physical geography and geology, which is also really cool sometimes, but really getting into the relationships between people and place. Um, yeah. Got and it. wildlife. Yeah. People, Got place, it. wildlife. <laughs> yeah. Neil, that sounds great. Uh, I think regime is the wrong word. As a writer, I think regime's the wrong word. But I think so too. It sounded very authoritarian. And I was like, no, no, I'm a I'm a consensus seeker. <laughs> I I will never, well, rarely lay down the hammer and say it has to be this way. <laughs> right, right. You are not Kim Jong-un by any means, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, rapid fire, uh, 10 questions. Take your time, take as long as you want. But these are uh, 10 questions that I that I find, um, they're pretty good, Alex. I think you're going to have a good time with these. You ready <laughs> to go? I'm ready. What's your favorite music era? the 90s oh yeah why is that 
it's the music of my life. <laughs> Listen, I grew up in Mississauga listening to CHFI. <laughs> nice, nice. I'm talking like Bonnie Raitt, Phil Collins, like okay. the soft rock era of the 90s, Amy Grant. <laughs> okay, Jim. yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, think I, I think I taped some of that uh, rock set for me in the 80s, but leading... Anyway, that, this isn't about me. I get you. Did you ever <laughs> use the tape recorder to tape? Heck yeah. I used to make yeah. mixtapes all the time. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Sunset from Tofino, BC, or sunrise from Signal Hill, Newfoundland? Oh, Tofino. Wow, that didn't take very long at all. <laughs> no Most... offense, Signal Hill. Signal... <laughs> you know what? Maybe it's because I've only been to Signal Hill in January. <laughs> right. So... And it's cold. <laughs> it's, it's really cold. I wonder what time does a sunrise in Signal Hill in January? Oh, man, that's got to be like 9 a.m. No, it's not that bad. It's no. not that bad. But the day that I went, it was like, it was blowing. It was snowing. It was, it was January in Newfoundland. Okay. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Most memorable family vacation when you were a kid? Oh my gosh. What a great question. Probably the road trip that my mom and I did from Mississauga to Calgary. We wow. camped. Most of the way, stopped in a bunch of provincial parks in every province that we passed through, visited with family in Calgary, then drove home through the States, got into some scrapes with some bad weather and my mom driving the car into like some really deep underbrush in the Cypress Hills wow. and uh, torching the battery. <laughs> it, was, uh, it, was, it was a time. It was a time. Where in the world would you go back to because of the people? The Dominican Republic. Yeah, I would awesome. love to go back. It's been 15 years. 15 what's years. Your, Whoa. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. That. What's your uh what's your lazy go-to meal? This is gonna sound really weird, but go with it. Couscous, tuna from a can, and pickles sliced up in it, and dressed with an olive oil and vinaigrette combo. Are you pregnant? <laughs> no. <laughs> And I was not pregnant when I invented this comfort meal. I was house sitting for my cousin in Toronto, and that was what was in her cupboards. <laughs> was this was this pre TikTok? Because you could probably TikTok that and, and inspire uh, was, a new generation. Pre TikTok. This creation was circa 2011, and it's been really faithful to me since then. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I don't know if I'll try it, but uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'll think about it. <laughs> do it my son loves it my yeah. son loves it i call it my concoction okay so regime and concoction got it <laughs> <laughs> would you rather travel back in time or forward mm, back in time back in time okay yeah. what's a place in canada you dream of visiting but you uh haven't yet the arctic okay is there a particular reason why is it is it uh the inaccessibility is it is it something specific? I mean, I would just love to see that landscape. It's so different from anything else on Earth, except Antarctica, which is even further out of reach, sure. I think. Sure. Uh, but also, I feel like if I'm the editor-in-chief of a magazine that routinely covers the North and climate change in the Arctic, I should probably try and see it again and experience it and talk to the people who live there and understand their challenges and perspectives. So... You should probably be one of the first people in line for that. <laughs> I'm working right. on it. I'm working right. on it. Uh, front of the plane or back of the plane? Front of the plane. Yeah. Who, in who inspires you these days? 
Oh gosh. My mom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's totally fair. My team. Yeah. My team inspire me with the the passion that they bring every day and their ideas and their compassion too for the people and the issues that we cover. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. What irritates you the most about travel? Be honest. <laughs> hmm. Getting there. <laughs> I'm not a good flyer, Jim. I am a super nervous flyer. I get like the anxiety sweats starting in the security line. And if we hit even like a little bump of turbulence, I'm like gripping the handrails and praying and like putting Ativan in. <laughs> it's just, it's not good. There are no judgments here. And uh, I'm sure a lot of people watching and listening would also be able to relate. For me, it's it's the early, early morning flights out of Toronto when you go through the US and the gates open at God knows what time, but customs opens only two hours before. And you have that giant, you know, eight to 10 deep lineup. Oh man, that, that too is not for the faint of heart. Oh, I can't even with the, the U S customs line, the number of times I have cut it to like the second of making my flight because of that line. <laughs> and I'm sure you got there like the previous night too, <laughs> right? No, you know what? Sometimes, and like through no fault of people's own, but like I will get booked on flights out of Ottawa that leave like half an hour to connect to a US bound flight through Pearson. And I'm like, I'm not getting there today. Yeah, <laughs> I just yeah. accept it, yeah. Alex Pope, Editor-in-Chief at Canadian Geographic, thank you so much once again for taking the time today. I know you're busy, and I know that it's it's um, it's it's always a busy time of year, so I, I always appreciate the conversation and the opportunity, and I thank you so much for taking the time today to join me on the Fact Up podcast. Well, thanks for having me, Jim. This was super fun. Awesome. Take care, and all the best going forward. Thanks. You too.